0: So welcome to another ed- edition of Nose to Nose with uh, Michael Kutza and Gino Suarez. That's me. And today we're going to talk about stand-up comedy because we both went to witness a performance of um, an actor playing Lenny Bruce here in Chicago. And I had seen Lenny Bruce on stage when I was in college, so I, I thought Gino should be to come see a reenactment of this guy. And we were there the other night at the Royal George Theater here in Chicago. And it, it, this all comes up because Gino's ultimate goal in life, wants to, he wants to be a stand-up comic, right? Yes. So where did that come from?
1: I think ever since I was a kid, I, the only thing I could really do was make people laugh or be personable to a certain extent. I think I got the trait from my father, he was always funny, always the center of attention, and the way that he communicated his himself and to the people around him always fell on a funny note, and I think that seeing that as a child kind of rubbed off on me, and as I started to progress and get older and Think more about comedy because you, as you get older, you don't think, or as a kid, you don't think about how comedy can pay the bills or how it can be an adult life or how it's an actual career. But now that I'm 23, I look back on my life and I think about, I spent a lot of time doing things that most kids of my age probably weren't doing. Listening to George Lopez albums, listening to comedy albums, kind of just self-exploration on my own about comedy that I didn't, at the time, realize would affect me into my life. And as I got older, I realized that the only true thing that I was really good at is speaking my mind and making funny jokes in light of inappropriate things. I kind of like the idea of challenging people's thoughts And breaking down what your conception of things are, and usually the way to do that is through comedy because, it, is a catalyst for having hard conversations with an air of lightness.
0: I agree. So I I agree with that because I've always felt comedy is terribly important just to, to get through a lot of tough, tough situations in in life, and from being a young person in, in the medical world with my mom and dad and everybody, and comedy and having a humorous side to such a serious lifestyle has always gotten me through the day, even in my professional life. But it's funny because stand-up comedy does not interest me at all, except when I think back of Charlie Chaplin and and, uh, Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and even Colleen Moore, these are stand-up comics in movies. And uh, true, they were silent, but they were standing there making you laugh with these Strange situations they were in because the comedy stand-up comedy in my life was Elaine May and Mike Nichols and and Robin Williams and Billy Crystal a different generation of stand-up comedy, not like this Lenny Bruce that we witnessed. And Lenny Bruce was the a shock jock. And what he said in the '60s was was quite controversial and and got him arrested many times. So now that you've you've have you ever heard Lenny before the other night? So.
1: My understanding of Lenny comes from the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I believe that's what the name of the show is. She's a stand up. So she's a stand up, and in the show, Lenny Bruce comes and bails her out of jail because she goes to jail for a stand up act that she does where she gets inappropriate and gets kind of naked. And you get introduced to that, and of course, I have a. Classic itch for knowledge and always Wikipedia things that I don't know. So when he came across the screen, I looked him up mm-hmm. and kind of read upon him and watched a little bit of his stand up. Didn't wasn't necessarily say that it was my enjoyment or type of stand up that I would like, but I did watch it to understand mm-hmm. who he was and what r- cultural relevance he had.
0: Right when I saw him in in my college days. He was not just outrageous, he was always in rage. His his performance and everything he talked about, he did in, in, in a way that was always a form of rage on the stage. Now, we saw this play the other night with this actor who's been a lot of films and a lot of theater. I've never really heard of Ronnie, Ronnie Marmo, but he's, I've seen all of his films, ironically, even his Italian movies. But he made Lenny a much softer character than he was because he walked us through his personal life and he made us feel something then he, then he would do some of the routines which were all angry but he didn't make them as angry as they really were with Lenny he humanized him to a certain degree right because the audience cared suddenly and even the people around us were saying oh oh yeah well that's not the Lenny I remember the Lenny I remember was crude rude and very and angry yes there was a film Dustin Hoffman played him in a, in a film called Lenny directed by Bob Fosse. It wasn't a big hit, it it didn't make any waves, but um, it portrayed some of his anger. So what did you get out of the performance of uh, Ronnie the other night?
1: He's a damn good actor, I'll tell you that. For a 90-minute show with no intermission, and to only use one microphone, a stand, two chairs, a toilet, and some lights, he really pulled off an amazing performance. That yeah, I did find myself at times a little bit tired of it. Could have it been, became it became very repetitive. It did yeah. become very repetitive. It could have been shortened to maybe a sixty-minute, but nonetheless, I did enjoy his portrayal of Lenny Bruce. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting stepping stone into understanding who he is. Might not be mm-hmm. what you understand of him as the cultural rager of the nineteen-sixties, but. For someone like me who doesn't know who he is and for, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, a fair amount of the people in there who may or may not know who he is, it's a great Well, you saw
0: saw the crowd and the crowd was old. The audience audience was 50s, 60s or more Mm -hmm. in age. Um, What I liked about it, what I liked about him, yes, he humanizes and he's a very thoughtful actor making his care and then he would go to the microphone, the light would hit him and he would become... Lenny Bruce. He would do the routine and his even his face changed. He became a different person. But then as the show progressed, he didn't do it as well. He just, he told stories, but he was, by then he was lovable and, and a nice guy. Yeah. That, uh, I wish he had kept the whole thing together. His use of nudity in the beginning and the end was... Well, that's how he was found. Dead. Interesting. It's
1: interesting that they doubled it. So in the beginning and at the end. It's life. I'm sure it made some of those old, beautiful ladies and...
0: (laughs) Uncomfortable?
1: (laughs) I don't know if uncomfortable, but I'm sure it was an exhilaration for their Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) So, you say that you off... Not off screen, off mic. You were telling me about how your understanding of comedy was more along the lines of Robin
0: Williams, Don Rickles... Right, a different generation of comedy, of stand up comedy. Billy so, Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, even even Henny Youngman, I'm sure you haven't heard of some of these people, but they did stand up with very funny family jokes and stuff. They didn't get into the crude, dirty down like, you know, Carlin and Richard Pryor. I, I saw Richard Pryor in his life. I, I found him very offensive. I did not like him. You're one of those.
1: You're the you're the one of those that shows up to a comedy club and gets offended.
0: I've never been to a comedy club, to be honest with you. Where did, honest, you, see, where did you, you see Richard Pryor live? A stage, a, a thea- theatrical performance. That's now, A comedy club to me is a little club that has about 150 people. This is like a five or 600 theater then, in, in L.A. Then at that rate,
1: if you know who Richard Pryor is, how are you going to go and get offended? That's one thing I never understood about.
0: I didn't like the material.
1: Uh, but did you not know what his material was going to be like before? He was... Never, no, no, no,
0: not on television. I was very careful. So yeah.
1: I saw... Yeah, I guess it's different when you're listening to the records, which you, uh, I'm assuming you didn't. No. If you would have listened to no. the records, you would have known what you were getting yourself into. Well,
0: Don Rickles, who's a stage actor and a comedian, is very offensive in a, in a different way. Uh, um, he's an insulting, an insulting stand-up comedy. He's insulting everybody in the room.
1: Yeah, but that's not any different than... What's the difference between that and Richard Pryor?
0: The words. Which are what? I, I'm not going to get into them. <laughs> like the Lenny Bruce words. The words... No. Um,
1: I don't know if that's exactly why I would distinguish the two. I think Richard Pryor was more of a storyteller and had dirty words in his stories, but... Don Rickles never really told a story. He just insulted everyone off the top of his head, which both avenues of comedy are funny, but they're differently and in, they're inherently different. Mm-hmm. Because the Don Rickles, as funny as it is, there's not a real amount of substance to it. He just is calling people Asians and all types of yellow belly and whatever he says to people that was was borderline or damn near racist as hell is interesting to. To listen to and watch but it's mm-hmm. way different than trying to see that done because i couldn't watch don rickles for 90 minutes versus watching richard Pryor for 90 minutes because at
0: some point you can only insult a room so much well in his in nightclub act because was a nightclub not a stand-up yes when you see him in vegas it would be an entire show he would there is music and he would sing and tell stories so it's actually more in his nightclub act right. So, what well, your ultimate goal is to do stand-up comedy in a comedy club, or, yeah. or beyond that, to turn it into... It would be fun to do a
1: tour of the United States, doing different clubs and seeing what different crowds are like. Because, for me, one thing about comedy that I really do enjoy is the idea of trying different crowds in different rooms. So, for example, there's the liberal... Caucasian-centric crowds that you'll find a lot of the times in Chicago. And then, for example, there's the... Like and we talked about in the previous episode, the Mexican rooms in East L.A. where it's very Latino-centric comedy. Then that you can be taken to another mm-hmm. level with African-American comedy where they're more... It's a bit more rugged, more... You have to be funnier on your feet. It's not... They don't accept as corny of jokes as, say, a, a, a wider crowd might, and it's interesting to play different clubs in different parts of the country because different places accept different ways of comedy, and it's a, because one thing about they tell you about performing is that no two crowds are the same, but there's a general idea of a crowd and what they're like, and sometimes yeah. you'll have a crowd that is super hostile towards you because the material that you're using isn't good for that demographic or majority of what's in the room. So I couldn't, Mm. for example, go and perform here in Chicago, Latino centric comedy, like you would be able to do in East LA because people here wouldn't accept it. it's not that funny unless you're going to perform in a, like say in Pilsen, in a Latino room that actually has people who understand the references to that cultural part of life.
0: So do we have that much stand-up, whether
1: it's Latino or not, in Chicago? So Chicago does have its fair amount of stand-up. I would say it is way smaller in terms of... it. It's definitely <laughs> overshadowed by improv because of Second, Second City Se- and Second I.O. City, yeah. And the amount of people that transfer from those to like SNL and things of that nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But Chicago does have its... It's comedy clubs, like you have your zanies and your laugh factory, but I definitely believe that the scene and the amount of comedy that can come out of Chicago definitely could improve and could be larger. Because, for example, one of the things about me is that I go to the open mics and you find yourself going to mics that are generically the same. It's the same routine. You go up, you tell your jokes. The only people there listening are just other comics. Mm -hmm. You start to see a lot of the same faces and it gets kind of repetitive. So for me, uh, a lot of the times I want, or what I want to do is I want to be able to make comedy in Chicago more of a, more fun, more creative, not just the same old boring open mics. It would be nice to have mics where people are doing things like roast sessions. and. So are nature. you
0: aware of the days when Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, and Whoopi Goldberg actually toured the country to really build up, stand up? They, well, were, they were this trio that was building up comedy and
1: well, I raising a lot of money. Well, I wouldn't say it was just them because... No, so they, were, they were the keys, those three. Well, they were probably one of the bigger ones, but for example, before that, Rick Richard Pryor has to do the whole country. Oh, mm-hmm. To be a comedian and to learn how to do things well, you have to tour the country because that's where you learn to, to, to bomb. You learn to adapt to crowds. You learn that... Doesn't matter how much you're going to beat this crowd with a joke, that they're just not going to care. And that, mm-hmm. you know what? You catch them at the next show. And sometimes you may not be what that city or that audience or that crowd wants. And you just you got to take that on the chin and move on. Because if you don't step out of the area that you're in and the comfort level that you're at, you'll never actually grow
0: as a comedian. Well, Eddie Murphy has done well with both. And he's still, he's become hot again in film. Yeah, but and, he took a break from comedy for, like, the last 30 years. Apparently, he's coming back. Six, so six years, not 30. About six. It's from stand-up? Well, no. second from, what was it, Saturday Night Live,
1: no, he, moving on. Oh, but I mean true stand-up. He hasn't done true stand-up since he started becoming famous in the movies. Because he became a movie mm. star in his own right. But indirectly doing, as far as I was
0: concerned, those films were...
1: Well, yeah, it's different when you're performing stand-up or a, not, or a performance to... A movie or a film crew, versus performing every day to, yeah, theaters, Madison Square Garden. Well, he took
0: it to the next level. I think that you have to do that. Well, he evolved as an artist. Same with Steve Martin. Have you involve. Yes. yes. My next question would be, what's your plan B? Let's say, you do stand up, and uh, it works for a while. What can it develop into? What do you want to? What do you want? What's plan B?
1: I think that. There's always, for me at least, comedy in everything that I do. And one of the things that I've started to realize is that I do speak Spanish. So, for example, I really enjoy watching different comedy programs in different countries and different languages and understanding and evaluating what makes a funny, creative, successful show in some of these countries. And, for example...
0: So you can write.
1: Yeah, I I love to write. And one of the things that I want to start doing is start writing shows that have premises that are done in Latin America and try to bring them to America. So, for example, there's this show that I watch a lot in Mexico by a man named Jorge Pinedo Ortiz. It's a show called Cero en Conducta, which translated means zero in conduct, or you get a zero for conduct. And it's a show... About school children, quote unquote, school children, but they're all acted like a, by adults. So there's a teacher and a headmaster that are running the show, and then there's the school kids and the alums, and there's probably like 10 or 15 of them, but they're all adults. And the running gag of the show is that they're school children, quote unquote. Going about their school day, but it's it's acted the way that the show is shot and acted. It's almost acted like a theater. So it's it's a classroom set up with chairs and the teacher, and it's just thirty minutes of the students basically just a not a just verbally attacking and making light and jokes of the teacher, and the teachers and the headmaster have one of those. They're like. Um, Thing, like not rulers but there's some type of
0: clickers some
1: kind of a clicker something. something along the lines not a clicker it's like a, a it's what I would consider like a ruler but to hit kids and something
0: that, the nuns used to have in Catholic schools exactly something along the lines of that I'm sure they don't do and they anymore like, but yes.
1: and throughout the show they like hit the kids whenever they start oh, making the jokes terrific but the running joke <laughs> of it is is them being adults making fun of these other adults that are kids
0: how long has this show been running it, so right. the
1: show was really really popular in in Latin America and it ran twice. It got picked up. Two two seasons. So no, not even, I don't even know how it is in two seasons. So it ran in the nineties as Cero and Conducta. And then in the two thousands, it got picked up again, like with the same, maybe like the same guy who did it. He's he directed and acted in it as the head school Mm. kid. Mm -hmm. And they recreated it with like other comics and like just more HD version And I would love to bring TV shows like that to America and show like maybe a theatrical production run of that in theaters because the show has acted almost like a a theater play on on a TV set because they have people watching it. Mm -hmm. Or being able to create that into a TV show that shows that this level of comedy is funny in America. Would you also
0: like the uh, telenovelas and all that? No, telenovelas
1: to me are not funny because they're just the over-dramatized... The exaggeration. The, I think what I would do one day would make a skit of the telenovelas and make fun of it and parody it. That, to me, is probably I funnier. I think
0: that's called Modern Family. It's the same thing. Well, not, <laughs> well, that's
1: a whole show, but I mean just yeah. like a skit of mm-hmm. an overt someone dying. Like, oh my God, Roberto, you left me, blah, 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 blah. But just funny skits and making mm-hmm. light of things like that. So it would be fun to be able to write shows like that and then to do more serious things Mm -hmm. along the lines of like the show that I'm writing with the golden age of Hollywood and just make funny content that people will laugh at and think is relatable to a majority of people. Got it. Good goals. Yeah, definitely scattered but focused if that, if that makes sense I like I know where I want to go and the direction that I'm going but I don't know exactly what projects will be worked on
0: well as Kathleen Turner told us in the last episode you got to become a waiter in between <laughs> before you get the break you're going to you're going to catch me waitressing at portillos <laughs> in Spanish
1: okay thanks for joining us for another episode Remember, if you want to email us, we have the email nose to nose podcasts at gmail.com. And in the
0: next episode, we could find out if he becomes a writer or not.
1: I'm a I've already been a writer. I've got or a stand up. That'll take that'll do its time. Thank you very much. But thank you guys. (laughs) And we'll see you next episode.